As you will, you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, and we will finish that this evening. Last weekend, we were reminded that life is basically filled with decisions and decisions and decisions. These decisions, as you're already seeing right now, as the, the homes open up a little bit, the restaurants open up a little bit, uh, the school opens up, now we're going to have decisions. Okay, what do we do? How does it work like? What's it look? Uh, we don't need to panic at all because we learned this last weekend. Now, I know many of you missed last weekend because of Mom's Day. Just get online. You can watch it from last week. Here it is. Life's wisest question God, what do you want me to do? Now, remember, we're warned in the Bible not to lean to our own wisdom because we are not all-knowing. Only God is all-knowing. Now, by asking God for his wisdom, we are saying one thing. God, I want your wisdom, not my idea, not my wisdom. And then... Last weekend, I gave you basically four keys. First, you have to admit you want God's will. You can't say to God, well, God, tell me what your will is, and I'll decide whether I want to do it or not. If you want to do that, forget the rest, because God will never, ever answer you. You have to say, God, whatever you tell me, and you'll see this with Philip, I will obey your will. Second thing we learned is this, to pray, to ask, God, what do you want me to do? And the third thing we learned is listen to God. And we gave you two things last weekend, the two top ways that we listen to God. God still speaks to us today. The first way is the word of God. The word of God, you're a light lamp to my feet, light to my path. He speaks to us. And the second thing is the Holy Spirit. He leads us from those inner promptings. He's speaking to us because he lives in us 24-7. And then the last thing is the big one. I have to choose once I have God's will, his decision for me, what to do, I have to choose and say, I will obey your leading. Now, today, this weekend, we will see Philip taking all these steps, all of those. And he's going to show us what that looks like in real life. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Many people have a poor opinion of themselves. And as we get in these difficult things all over the world, that kind of increases. And we have to be very careful because that idea, that concept, that feeling doesn't come from God. God's for us. He's not against us. Those lies come from Satan. Let me give you an idea. Many people will think in their mind, well, God doesn't care about me. He doesn't, most people don't care about me. I don't matter to anybody. I don't have any value. That is not from God. It doesn't even touch anything in the Bible, even remotely. Here's what the Bible says to us. Now listen to this very carefully. You 
absolutely matter to God because God made you in his image. You're going to hear some words tonight over and over and over again. You already saw it here. You, you, you. And you're going to hear another word all the way through the teaching this weekend. One, one, one. Now, Genesis 127 says it like this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So actually, every single person is created in the image of God. God made only one of you and one of me. There is nobody else like you in the entire world. That's our God. Unbelievable, supernatural. Now, in Luke chapter 15, you remember the stories. Jesus told us some important keys. He said this in Luke 15 in three stories. The one lost sheep, he went after the one lost sheep and brought the sheep back. Then he talked about a lady that had a lost coin. He went and helped her, and they found the one coin as Jesus went after the one sheep. And then you remember the prodigal son. The prodigal son was one, only one. And he came home to the father. What does that tell you? Well, here it is. A principle we're going to talk about this weekend. You see it on the overhead. It's called V-I-O. Now, many years ago, we did a whole series, but I'm just going to mention it once or twice during our teaching this weekend. It means the value and the impact, here we go again, of one person, of one person's. Now, this will be proved as Philip meets the eunuch. You'll see it absolutely proved. Now, not only do you matter to God, there is more. Let me read to you Luke chapter 12. Jesus speaking. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single, here's your word, one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, some of you, God doesn't have to number them. You just have that nice, shiny head. So, Jesus says it like this. So, don't be afraid. Listen. Now, listen to this very closely. What Jesus is saying. You, and he's talking about people, are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now, here's the two keys I want you to focus on as we go through the teaching this weekend. Here's the first one. You see it right on the notes. You matter to God, and you are valuable to God. Don't let Satan tell you anything else. Doesn't matter what other people think about you. God is the one that made you and made me. Remember, you matter to God, and you are valuable to God. Now, I want you to do one thing. I don't know who's in your room or your house or if you're in the back porch or where you're at. I want you to turn to one or two people there and just say this. Here, here we go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just point at yourself like this and say this to them nicely now. 
I matter to God. Come on, turn to him right now, wherever you're at. I matter to God. Now, hopefully there's somebody in your room other than just you and the dog or the cat. The cat wouldn't listen to you anyway, so don't worry about it. If there's another person, you need to say to them, you matter to God. You matter to God. See, every one of us have a connection with God because we were made in his image. Now, (coughs) the second thing you see in the overhead is this. Everyone matters to God. Everyone is valuable to God. Everyone matters to God. There's not one person on the world. Now, this is believers and unbelievers both. Everyone matters to God. Everyone is valuable to God. God proved it. Well, you say, Pastor Mark, how did he prove that? I mean, there's billions of people. You mean they're really, really, they matter to God? Really, they're valuable to God? Absolutely. How did he prove those two statements? Here it is. John 3.16. Listen to this. For God so loved the world, I just put in there, everybody, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What is God saying there? It relates exactly to what I'm telling you. God says you are valuable, so valuable, that I sent my son to forgive you of your sins so you could spend eternity with me. That's amazing. He says, you're so valuable to me. I want to make sure that you spend eternity with me. Now, the next thing is God really says this. You matter so much to me. Here is my promise to you, to you. Look at this promise. Psalm 32, 8. I, as you see all the eyes, that's God. I will instruct you. Now, do you think God would instruct you if he didn't care for you, if he didn't want to have anything to do with you? What a waste of time. Of course he cares for you. He ma- you matter to God. You are valuable to God. Get it in your mind. It's biblical. Don't let the enemy say you're not. Well, I'm not that special. Hey, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're made in the image of God. Of course you're special. He's for you. Now, look at this. It goes on. I will instruct you. And teach, there's your word, you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Now, that's what I call a personal relationship. Why? Because you matter to God and you are valuable to God. Now, Scoot over, if you will, to Acts chapter 8. Go down to verse 26. We'll pick it up very quickly. Remember, Philip had a great revival in Samaria. The whole city came to Christ. And it was just a wonderful thing. And then all of a sudden, as you see in verse 26, Philip had a visit from an angel. And look what the angel of the Lord said to Philip. Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So 
what we noticed is Philip only gets the first step. He, he, he knows the angel is, of course, sent from God. He, he's debating himself, why am I doing this? Is there, why am I going? Well, the angel doesn't tell him anything. Very often that's true in our lives. As we open up our campuses, we're looking for God, and sometimes he will just give us the first step. And then we have to wait a little bit to get the second step. It'd be the same in some of your decisions. Make sure the first step is from God and then just wait. He'll give you the second step. That's just the way it works. Now, here's another thing as you look at this. Look at verse 27. So he started out. And on his way, he met. Now, look at your verse. Look at your verse, 827. So he started out, and on his way, he met, pay attention, 40 Ethiopian eunuchs. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible says? No. The Bible says he met one Ethiopian, one man, only one. Now, what is going through Philip's mind? Wait a minute. I just left the church with thousands of people, and God is sending me out here for one? Listen. One matters to God. One person is valuable to God. This is the principle that Philip will learn. He doesn't know it yet, but he will learn it. You and I have to learn it. Do you remember what the Bible says? When one person comes to salvation, how many? One. The angels do what? They have a party. One. One person is valuable to God. One person matters to God. Now, Philip met one Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, notice what he did. It says in that verse, he started out. See, you'll never get anywhere unless you obey and start out. You can sit home and say, well, I'll think about it for a while. I'll see what happens here. I'm, you know. No, very often God's challenge to us is to go, go, go. I'm opening the door. I'm opening the door. Go. So he started out. He took his first step. He didn't debate it. He did what we taught you. God, what do you want me to do? And the angel said, go. And he goes. He obeys God, even though he doesn't understand really why he's going. Now, that's important for all of us. Usually, guidance comes one step at a time. Now, when you see all that happening, remember, you have a free will. I have a free will. When we're making all these decisions all the time in life, not just during this time period, but all the time, God gave us a free will. I have to choose to obey or disobey and do my own thing. Philip, he obeyed. What a beautiful picture. Now, Ethiopia was located south of Egypt in Africa, and today we would call it modern Sudan. Uh, Candace was not a proper name, but a title, which was uh, used by all the queens in Ethiopia. Now, look at verse 27 and 28. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book 
of Isaiah the prophet. Now, he was a man of great authority, responsibility, obviously very intelligent to be over all that responsibility. And let's face it, he's got to be very wealthy. He has all the comforts you could have in those days for sure. He's enjoying those, experiencing those. Yet, he's still searching. Something is empty in his life. He has everything that he could imagine, but he's missing something. He's searching for truth. He's searching for fulfillment. He's searching for purpose. And he's trying to figure out, why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? Well, I think it's very significant that he leaves Jerusalem and is still searching. Why is that? Because all he found when he was in Jerusalem, was dead religion, Judaism, filled with man's traditions, lots of rules, and regulations. Now, you need to understand this. Religion always leaves a person empty. They're going to be searching for meaning and purpose. You will never find it in religion. You'll still seek, seek. For truth. You see, religion is man saying, I'll be good enough to climb to heaven. I, I can do it. I can do it, baby. I can do it. I'll be good enough. No, that doesn't work. That's why Jesus said, you'll never get here on your good works. That's why I sent Jesus to you. You can't get there on your own works. I sent Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. Remember, forgiven people, are the only ones that go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. So he is, he is searching, and the reason he's empty, you'll see in a moment. Watch this. It, bring, it reminds me, and if you've ever watched Billy Graham all these years, if you know anything about Billy Graham, what an amazing pastor he was, evangelist. He says this, the moment you were born, you started on a quest. You started on a search uh, of life. Searching for something that would fill you, the empty spot that God put in you. Remember, the Bible speaks to us that he put eternity in Ecclesiastes, eternity in my heart. He put it there. And nothing can fill that emptiness except a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When he put eternity in our hearts, that means I know I'm going to live somewhere when I die. I absolutely know. And if I don't have a feeling it's going to be in heaven, then I'm searching. I'm searching. I'm searching. So Billy Graham goes on, and he mentions that whole principle. Now, understand this. From the beginning of time, when a person was born, they're searching. They're searching for God. And when you think about that, the world in general is searching for something that satisfies, gives purpose, gives meaning. King Solomon in Ecclesiastes is a perfect picture. He was the wisest man and the richest man we see in the Bible. And he tried everything in his life to find fulfillment. He went down street after street after street after street. And let me tell you this, what he tried. He, he tried things you and I could never try. He tried the streets of pleasure. 1,000 wives and concubines. I don't think anybody'd want to try that one. Projects, possessions, wisdom, work, 
education, wealth, success. He was known all over the world. But they were all, as he's going down this path, as he goes down this path, boom. Everyone was a dead end. Many of you know what exactly what I'm talking about. You've been trying to find it all over. The world says, oh, you can get it. You can get it. It's Michelob weekend. Come on, baby. You can get it. And you're going down these streets. You might have a little fun for a little while, but then what? There you are. That's a dead end. What do you have to do? You turn back and go down another street. Well, he never did find it until the last part of his life. And he basically, you know what he said at the end? Fear God and obey all his commandments. That was his answer. Now, when you see that happening, the only thing that will satisfy you in your life, he just said it, is a personal relationship with God through Jesus. But the Ethiopian, the reason eunuch, you know why he's empty? Because he doesn't know anything about Jesus. When he went to Jerusalem... Remember, the Jews didn't believe in Jesus. So they taught him their rules, their regulations, all the legal kind of stuff. But Jesus was not really at all in any of the teachings. So he left Jerusalem empty, just as he had come there. Now, can I ask you to write this down? Because this is true for every one of us. All of, before you became a Christian, here's the answer to the searching. I don't know what you're searching for tonight, or maybe you backslid and you need to come back to Christ, or somehow a friend invites you to watch. Here's the answer. This isn't my answer. This isn't the church's answer. This is God's answer. Look at this. Life never makes sense without a personal relationship with God. Now, in verse 29 and 30, let me read it to you. And the Spirit told Philip. Now, remember, he's out there in this desert. There's one man. One, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near. Now, we don't know how fast it was going, but it's interesting. The Scripture says, then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. In those days, they read it out loud. And here's what he says. Do you understand, to the Ethiopian eunuch, what you are reading. Notice, he ran up to the chariot. He was excited to obey God, and he was excited to witness. You know why he was excited to witness? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had the boldness to run right up. He doesn't know the man. He's never seen the man. He has no clue. I wonder what that guy's going to think of me running up to this chariot. That's crazy. No, he just ran. He didn't go like, well, let's see. Like if I waited long enough, that chariot would go right on by me. Thank you, God. He's gone. Sorry. No, he was excited. Can I ask you? Can I ask me? When God opens the door, are we excited? Yes, we can be a little nervous, all of us. But we should be excited. When God opens a door, that's an open door. And we need to go, and you'll see what Philip does exactly. Now, verse 31. When he says to the man, do you know what you're reading? Verse 31. How can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up 
and sit with him. Who Philip would have never thought when he left Samaria. I'll be riding in a big chariot, man, with this rich guy. This is going to be fantastic. Somebody got the camera with him? I need to take a picture. They'll never believe it. No, he wasn't thinking like that at all. He's thinking, okay, he's beginning to see something's happening with God, his plan for his life. Now, what do you see? Take a look on the overhead. Here's what the Holy Spirit did. Here was the leading of the Holy Spirit. The right time, the right place, and the right person. That's the way God does it. He designs it so that we can see how clearly we're being led. Now, at this point, think about this. At this point, think about this. He's there. And you'll see in a moment, he's asked to come up and explain the verse in Isaiah 53. At this point, he now knows why he's there. I already told you. One person matters to God. One person is valuable to God. And now he's seeing it. He understands it. He doesn't get it all yet, but he now goes, okay, so there's not a lot of people here. There's one, but I, I, I know somehow this man matters to God and he's valuable to God. And you'll see why at the end. He doesn't know yet why, but we will see that. Now, he understands one truth. Look at this. God says, everyone matters to me and is valuable to me. Every one. Everyone. Now, 2 Peter 3.9, it tells us kind of why. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting Wanting, look at it, any one to perish, but every one to come to repentance. That should sound familiar to all of us. One day, Jesus was in a village, and Zacchaeus was there. And he went into that town. And, and the whole end of the story, in the end of Luke 19... We have one sentence that tells the mission that Jesus had for the church. Here it is. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save that which was lost. Didn't matter the number. He came seeking. Jesus knew the value of one person coming to salvation, as Zacchaeus did. Jesus knew one other thing. Now listen to me. He knew man's most valuable possession. What is the most valuable possession you have in this world? Is it your home? Your business? Your kids? Is it your car? Is it your education? Well, those are great things. But that's not the answer. Let me read to you. Matthew 16, 26. I put it on the overhead so you could follow with me. Jesus speaking. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul, your own spirit? 
is anything worth more than your soul? Now, our soul or spirit, you can just put a slash there, equals life. It's the real you. It's the real me. You know, we're a spirit being. Our spirit will last forever in eternity, either in heaven with God, or if you never come to salvation, with, without God in hell. That's the most valuable thing you have because it's eternal. Now, let me share one more thing with you. When you see that, that's why one person matters because God doesn't want anybody not to be with him in heaven. So basically what Jesus is saying to all of us, myself included tonight, what advantage is there if you become the richest person in the world, but after you die, you are not able to spend it? Or... What if you become famous, and after you die, nobody remembers you? What benefit, what advantage, if in the process of life, you lose your eternal soul? You may want to write this down and just remind yourself. Our most valuable possession is our soul. It's priceless. You couldn't put a price on it. To be able to have peace with God, forgiveness of our sins, and spend eternity forever in heaven, forever, ever, 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 ever. That's priceless. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. And you don't want to miss it. That is what one person coming to Christ is all about. Now, the value of our soul is measured by eternal quality. See, sometimes we never think about eternity. But eternity simply means when, we're, when you die, you'll never die again. You'll be in one or two places, as I already said. So you and I are going to live somewhere forever, forever. We know that it's God's will that no one perishes. And obviously, we're reminded about the value of one as we go through this teaching this weekend. Now, this seeking eunuch traveled 200 miles from Ethiopia to Israel to Jerusalem. But why is he coming home? I really already told you. He's coming back because it was, he thought it was a wasted trip. Well, I, I bought a scroll of Isaiah, but I can't make any sense out of that either. But here's why he thought. He thought basically that, well, It sounds kind of strange. Rules, regulations, ritual. It doesn't set with me. Something isn't right. But notice a promise God makes to us in the Bible. Now, this is for every person that is looking for meaning in your life. Here it is. Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you do. If you come to a place, you say, man, I'm at a dead end here. I'm empty. Man, nothing makes sense. What does he say? If. It's a choice. You have to choose it. If you look for me wholeheartedly, well, I'll give give church a little shot. I'll try it once. No, no, no. Wholeheartedly. God, you have the answers. That's what I'm told. I want to find that out. So I'm I'm going for you. And what does God say? He will find you. Actually, many of you this weekend have been searching exactly like I mentioned. 
And you're here, and you're listening, and you're watching. God has found you, and you're hearing the answer. So this one searching matter, man mattered to God. The Holy Spirit directed Philip to one searching man, and God had already opened his heart. Would you come up here and help me? Would you come up? I don't know who you are, but you're the only one out here. Philip, would you come up here? I don't even know your name. Would you come up here and help me understand this verse? Do you think that was an accident? Do you think it was an accident that Philip was out there, an evangelist, a spirit-filled evangelist who had just won a whole community to Christ? You think that's an accident? No, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And it wasn't about Philip. It was about the one searching man. How powerful is that? By the way, you're going to see in a moment, he opens Isaiah 53. You think that's an accident? No. Watch this as we go through it. See, God's behind all of this. He, this one man mattered to God. This one man was valuable to God. Now, verse 32 says the eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about Isaiah himself or someone else? The eunuch said, I I don't understand that. Now, what's interesting, verse 35 Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. Now, what does that say to us? Philip knew the Bible. Remember, there was only the Old Testament, just getting started into the New, not written out yet. He knew the prophecies of Jesus all through the Old Testament. That's why this was not an accident that the Ethiopian eunuch opened Isaiah 53. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, and guess what he does? He told him the good news about Jesus. God gave him that perfectly. That prophecy was perfectly filled by the life and death of Jesus. There's no question God had him open that passage. Now, Think about that. In that passage, it describes the life of Jesus Christ, his birth, his ministry, his life, the picture even we sang, the the Lamb of God, the substitutionary death that he paid for our sins, his amazing resurrection. All of that is there. So he, one of the other things Philip explained in this Old Testament prophecy was this. You saw it there. Jesus would suffer as he's going to the cross. And of course, on the cross. Now, remember, the Jews, when he went to Jerusalem, they didn't believe that Isaiah 53, they still, most of them don't today believe Isaiah 53, was about their coming Messiah. 
No way. You see, those Jews, and now some Jews have changed, and they have a different opinion now, that it was about Jesus. These Jewish people are saying, our Messiah is not coming here to be beat up and give his life and be killed and all that stuff. That's not the Messiah we're looking for. We're looking for a Messiah that sets up a government that gets rid of these Romans that are just destroying us. We're not interested in that Messiah. That's not our Messiah. Well, they were 1,000% wrong. That was their Messiah. And they missed him because they had a wrong understanding. Now, notice what Philip does. He begins right at that spot. And what does he do? He talks about Jesus. He talks about the good news. The person and the works of Jesus on the cross to provide us salvation. Philip's knew that when he's talking to this man, he'd never heard about Jesus. Philip knew he had to talk about Jesus, the cross, the personal salvation, belief, repentance. And the focus for him was always about Jesus. What song did we sing? What was the second song? Jesus, 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 Jesus. He walks on the water. He, he's there for when we have to cry out to him. He, Philip knows exactly where to go. Who? Jesus, because he was born again. He got filled with the Spirit of God. Now, the focus of our witnessing is not about a church. Nothing wrong with the church. It's not about your background. The focus on witnessing is always Jesus Christ. Here's why. We have to get people to Jesus. That's why we do an altar call. We've been doing that. I've been doing that for 28 years in this campus, this church. 28 years. And before that, I did it many, many times when I taught. Take a look at this verse on the over it. Jesus said, here's why we always have to talk about Jesus. I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through me. There's no other way to talk about it. A person that wants to get to heaven, there's only one way. Hello, there's the word again. One, one, one. There's only one way. He's not a way. A lot of people say today, well, there's lots of ways to God. No, that's wrong. There's one way to God. His name is Jesus, Messiah. That's it. He is the one way to God. Now, look at verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water in the desert. Interesting. Why shouldn't I be baptized? <laughs> I love this. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, when you think about that, what comes to your mind? Somehow, Philip had to explain the gospel first about Jesus to repent, believe, and receive Jesus. And then we understand something. Why would this man, he gets saved. You'll see this. He gets saved. Now, why would he get saved? Do you know this verse? It's on the overhead. I'll read it to you. It's in my memory. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why would he repent? Why would he believe? Why would he put his faith in Jesus Christ? For that very reason. Because when Philip was there, he took the word about Jesus, and then he went right to salvation. Remember the faith in the word, the faith is absolutely comes from us hearing. You're hearing it tonight. Now, the result of Philip's evangelization, 
uh, evangelization was his conversion. But there has to be, we don't see everything in the passage, but no doubt Philip talked about water baptism being the next step. So the next result, after he's saved, has his sins forgiven, has accepted Jesus as his personal Savior. Remember, he knew nothing until Philip talked with him. He knew nothing. Now watch what happens. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Hey, I've got Jesus in my heart. And of course, the next step, Philip would have said, you need to be water baptized. Oh, wow, on the desert, there's some water here. That's amazing. Here we go. This indicates that water baptism was the seal of the personal relationship this man put in Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 37. I'll read it from the New Living, uh, excuse me, the New King James. Remember, he asked him, is there anything stopping me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered him and said, here's the answer from the Ethiopian eunuch. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's as simple as it can be. I believe it. I've been born again. I've been saved. I don't get it all yet, but I understand it now. I never did before because nobody talked to me about Jesus. And verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Down into the water, immersion underneath. And Philip baptized him. So real was his salvation experience that he insisted on stopping the caravan and being baptized. Now, there's something very important that you need to understand. He's a brand new baby Christian. Could be a half hour, an hour. I don't know how long he's been a Christian. And his caravan has lots of people in it. No believers. No believers. They knew nothing. So what does he say to Philip? Uh, Philip, uh, could you kind of stand in front of me? I'll go in the water, but I don't want those people seeing me at all. They're thinking, oh, he just took a bath or something. I guess he needed to cool off in the desert. He doesn't say that at all. He goes down with Philip, and he immerses himself and comes out totally wet. Now, when he came back to the caravan, you think anybody said anything to him? Of course they did. What was he doing? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, his whole life was changed. He said, I don't care. I'm the rich guy. These guys are my, my slaves, my workers. But I don't care. I found what I was looking for, and I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. You see, water baptism is a public stance of something that's already happened in your heart. That's powerful. That's powerful. So that challenges us. We don't need to be ashamed of anything because Jesus said it. Go baptize them them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, What does that say to us? Many of you have come to Christ over the last month. We don't know where everybody lives, of course, just in our campuses. And people are coming, across, coming to Christ across the world. I watched a, a video the other night on TBN. There was like eight different countries all over the world and their churches. 
And many of the pastors were saying, our, our country doesn't really have anything to do with God, but we've seen more people come to Christ than we've ever seen since the church has begun. And eight countries just kept saying the same thing. And that's really what's happening to us. See, God, God allowed the coronavirus for lots of reasons we really don't know. Of course, it's from Satan. It isn't from God. And what happens? What the Satan is going to say, man, I wiped you guys out. You can't go to church. Yeah, we are a church. But you know what? All these people are coming to Christ. So when you see that, here's what you have to understand. This is so key. Following Jesus Christ is not a private lifestyle. Now, we're not out picking, We're not out showing off. But it's something nobody should be ashamed of. Now, notice this really quickly. Water baptism is the next step after salvation. Water baptism doesn't save you. It's basically an outward sign of an inward spiritual change. Now, when we get back with all the restrictions come off, whenever that's going to be, we will have a big water baptism at the beach, which we love to do during the summer times, maybe as early as June or whenever we get a village to do that. You can't really do it yet. Even if we're not back in church, we'd like to do it, but we can't do it yet. We have to wait for the, the, the state to tell us exactly what we can do because we'll probably have a lot of people. As you know, we've had more than 400 people accept Jesus Christ in the last nine weeks or so. So it's just a wonderful step. Now remember, look at verse 39. Watch what happens. When they came up out of the water, now, we don't have any explanations for some of this because God's ways are not our ways. Look at this. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. We have no details. Just picture. You're, you're the Ethiopian eunuch. You're the Ethiopian eunuch. Watch this happen. Look down at verse 40. Philip, however, appeared at Azotos, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea on the other coast. Philip was transformed, transported supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to a former city today is known as Ashdod. Now, as he traveled to Caesarea, he proclaimed the gospel in all the towns. We don't know how far God picked him up. Had to be something supernatural. He didn't take a car. There were no cars. He didn't take a plane. He didn't take a boat. It had to be supernatural. Somehow, he got down to that coast, and he proclaimed the gospel in towns all along the way. 20 years later, when we start moving on in the book of Acts even farther, we'll discover that Philip and his family with, had four daughters that were born again. They were living in Caesarea, and he was still serving as an evangelist. Long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. That's what God wants from us. So there he is. Now, go back to 39 again. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And watch this. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, Let's just take this as Philip, and I'm the eunuch, and I'm talking to Philip. And I'm thinking, wow, this has been fantastic, man. Thank you, Philip. He's gone. 
supernaturally gone. But you know what? He's headed back to Ethiopia. And notice what it says. He is what? He is on his way rejoicing because he found what he was looking for. Why? Because he mattered to God. He was valuable to God. Now, here's what happens. Salvation brings forgiveness, joy, and meaning to life. God knew there was one confused man that needed to know about Jesus. And we see that God valued this one man. He valued one man to send one person, Philip, to share the good news. It was all about one coming to Christ. Here's what you really need to see. It's the impact of one. God not only met the one searching man. You know what he does next? He goes home. And we don't have all the history of this exactly. But he goes home to his own country, Ethiopia. And Irenaeus, one of the uh, earlier pastors in the second century, said the Ethiopian became a missionary among his people by sharing the good news about Jesus. He returns home to Ethiopia, and what does he begin doing? We don't know when and how. He begins sharing the gospel, the value and the impact of one person coming to Christ. Ethiopia gets exposed to the gospel. Gentile people gets exposed to the gospel. That was always God's plan. Why? Because his heart wasn't just for the one man. It was to get him to a place where he would accept Christ and take the good news back to his country where we don't know how many people came to Jesus Christ. That's what the heart of God is. Every person matters to God. You matter to God. You are valuable to God. Every single person you see, sometimes you can't see them with a crazy face mask and all that, but every single person you see, they matter to God. They don't know it. They're valuable to God. They don't know the most important thing they have is their soul. Let's make sure we're asking people when God opens the door, hey, I want to tell you about my life. My life changed. Here's what I want to tell you. The eunuch was now prepared to live with purpose and meaning. He was prepared to die. Why? Because he had joy. He had everything he was looking for. He received Jesus as his Savior. Now, I just want your attention about two minutes and we'll be done. You have to understand that as I'm teaching this weekend, many of you out there, from local to countries, different places, cities all up and down, whatever, you found this, you're looking, you're listening. You've been searching for the same purpose and meaning in your life. Today, God wants to forgive your sins, give you joy just like this man, give you a new start. And the guarantee of heaven for all eternity. That's where your spirit man, that spirit woman will be forever. You'll get a whole new body in heaven. Now, remember, you matter to God. And you are valuable for God. You know why? Because Jesus died for you because he loves you. 
You say, well, Pastor Mark, how do I do this? Believe and repent. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. I will lead you in a prayer. And here's the verse that tells you how to do it. Take a look. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, not in your head, your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. If you want your sins forgiven and you want to know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, I want you to do one thing. Very quietly, just pray this prayer. Wherever you're at, if you're in a room and there's other people, just bow your head and pray it quietly in the room. If you're somewhere else, it doesn't really matter. Just pray, and you're not praying to me. You're praying this prayer to God. Repeat this after me. Jesus, I know I am a sinner, and I learned I need your forgiveness. I believe you did die on the cross for my sins. Right now, I choose to turn from my sins and to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for your word that shows me how to do a brand new start in my life. Today, I receive your gift of salvation. And I look forward to a life of freedom, purpose, meaning, and of course, joy and the guarantee of heaven. God, thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.